Early one morning in 1944, planes took off from England to bomb Nuremberg. On one of those Halifax bombers was a young Jim Moffat of 427 Squadron. He was a tail gunner. On that trip, things got bad and he ended up having to bail out of his aircraft with his parachute. Very few of us can ever imagine jumping out of an aircraft, let alone when that aircraft is falling apart and there's gunfire all around, knowing that within a few moments you'd either be dead or landing into enemy territory. This is the story of Jim Moffat from his grandson's point of view and about the watch his grandson inherited. We hope you enjoy this Remembrance Day special edition of the Roldorf Cafe and take a moment to think about people like Jim Moffat and the lives they led during and after the war and the legacies that they've left after they've gone. Well, hello, everybody. Well, yes. Everybody. Hello, everybody. This is listening to the podcast. Yeah, this is... Uh, not everybody? Well, not everybody. I'm not too sure now whether this is episode 14 or 15 or 13 or... Well, this we, is sort of... Lost track. I'd say this is episode 14, sub subsection 1. Okay. Or subsection... I don't know. And this is going to be a bit of a... This is a special episode, this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So to, yeah. ready for Remembrance Day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think fitting to Remembrance Day is having a watch with a really great story. And we have a special guest today, our friend Travis O'Farrell. He brought in his watch um, a few months ago for a service. Yeah, must yeah. probably brought in the first time over a year ago. Right. Um, yeah, it's had a couple issues. It's an old watch. And I've always appreciated the help you guys have given. Cool. Yeah, well, it was pleasure to work on the watch and it's funny after we had done work on it and then gave it back to you then you told us this amazing story of the watch um which is awesome love hearing the story so that's why we wanted to have this conversation with you especially in relation to remembrance day and military uh heritage with uh, watches and stuff so very cool yeah for sure so um we've taken some pictures of the watch and we're going to put it on instagram it's uh let me describe the watch quickly here. It's it's it says it's a very uh, you know modest looking watch. It's very cool, very kind of odd actually. The look of it, it's very cool. Just a gold watch with a, a parachute on it and like a little caterpillar. And the watch says Caterpillar Association. And so what I wanted you to tell the story of this watch because it is really interesting. So what? Uh, yeah, go for it. Let's hear. Let's as as you told it to me for sure. Yeah, so thank you. It's the Caterpillar Association. It's a... So what is the Caterpillar Yeah, it's a special association that commemorates anyone whose lives have been saved by a parachute. So that's specifically, it's not skydiving for, for hobbies. It's for if your plane's in an accident or a plane for some reason crashing, 
if your life is saved by a parachute, you are an honorary member of the Caterpillar, Caterpillar Club. Cool. And my grandfather, through the war effort, World War II, he was uh, in a plane crash and his life was saved by a parachute. And yeah, like you said, it's a remarkable story. So That's um, totally wild. So why, why is it called Caterpillar? Caterpillar, the... In those days, uh, the parachute was made out of silk from the silkworm, which is a caterpillar. Oh yeah, for sure. So well, that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, I've heard they're very stringent about uh, who they bring into the club and the circumstances and stuff like that. Where you just, uh, the plane actually has to be crashing, right? But yeah. if you're a sky, like there was an, uh, a story that somebody had said about a skydive, uh, skydiving team that uh, one of the members had jumped out of the plane, got his parachute hooked on the tail, which put the, the, the plane into a spin. The other skydivers jumped out. Yeah. And then the pilot eventually uh, uh, jumped out and was a parachute, parachuted to safety. Yeah. So the fellow on the tail, he, yeah, he, he lost his life. Oh. Um, the, other, the other parachutists were not allowed into the club because they were actually there to parachute anyway for a hobby. For yeah. a hobby. Their, so intention, that, their so, intention was to parachute. Yeah, so but the pilot, yeah, that's the pilot it wasn't. <laughs> so the pilot got to be part of the club because <laughs> he jumped out. A, a dubious honor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I don't Yeah, no one wants to. Yeah, but they're in a plane crash or they're in an accident. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, so what's the story specifically with that? What was your grandfather's name? Uh, James Moffat. Okay. He um he was sixteen at the beginning of the war, or in the middle of the war, I should say. So call that nineteen forty four. He was born in late thirties uh, in Timmins, and he was the oldest of eight siblings. Okay. And to provide food, he didn't go to school. He dropped out of school in grade three, and he started working in the mines at fifteen, and uh, the gold mines in Norland Timmins north of Timmins, which were a very dangerous place at the time. There was, he wrote a book about it actually, and the book describes uh, the many injuries and many fatalities that happened at the mines. And he, when the war broke out, he saw that as an opportunity to escape the life that he was seemed to be stuck in. And uh, felt that the army was relative safety, wow. which is, yeah, it's hard to imagine. So that was, that was like, as the war was on, he joined, or was that before the war? It, must have been as the war was going on because he was like he had to lie about his age to get in okay and uh i know he participated it was in the late it was in the early 40s like war broke up 39 right the it was midway through right so he joined the uh the rcaf air force he's a big guy okay he is like six one six two and he was the tail gutter which for a big guy cramped in the back of the plane mm -hmm. Hard to fit in there, and he was also um, like the most dangerous part of the plane because when you fire the tail gun, it lights up. It's the most visible part of the airplane. They so have it's the target. It's the target exactly. They have the shortest lifespan of uh, of anyone in the army. Now, what plane was it? It was a uh, I get Lancaster and Halifax mixed up. There it was the bomber right. that he was in. The uh, so it was his. He had done twenty missions. He had a unique war experience in that he spent almost every night, like in the London suburbs, and then on a mission, they would fly over and bomb uh, bomb Germany. So it was on maybe his 20th bombing raid that uh, they basically collided with another airplane. Mm. And he was knocked out. He came to, 
in a tailspin and he jumped out of the plane with his parachute and uh, he was luckily enough landed in a field where he was the only survivor of the, of the plane that crashed. Wow. And yeah, he uh, he hid in a Belgian family's home. They, they protected him. I guess they'd come across parachuters. So there was a, a hidden underground network to save parachuters. And he uh, joined a family and they protected him until their house was invaded, actually. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's a crazy story. He was, the book that he wrote describes how they, like the German, the, they came into the house, they, I guess someone had broke the news that they were hiding a parachuter. So they had to ran, run into the field uh, and like he was getting shot. I mean, tell stories of him like hearing bullets at his feet and he runs away and hides in the woods for days and just whatever took to escape. And he, um, yeah, he joined the, the French resistance, you know, finding the French resistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny, they all used code names. My grandfather was brown haired. He was Charles, Charles Lebrun. And the guy he worked with, another one of his friends was, was Jacques, Jacques Noir. So they were the original Charlie Brown and Jack Black. Yeah. <laughs> Before Charlie Brown was actually a thing. So he did in the 1940s, so it's kind of fun. Um, yeah, so obviously uh, his life was saved by a parachute, and that's how he joined the Caterpillar Club. The 44, the, the Americans, and I guess the war ends, thankfully, in the uh, he, yeah, he fought the, with the French resistance for over a year. Mm-hmm. And when, um, after D-Day, he was safe and he came back home mm-hmm. and lived a normal life. So that's very interesting. Yeah. So he actually stayed in Europe uh, for, for a portion of the war helping. Exactly. Before actually heading back. Yeah, he, well, he could have gotten out. It seems like he could have gotten out, but he joined this community that, Joined the resistance and he yeah. stayed stayed on there, blowing up uh, like bridges, mostly train tracks, sure. train bridges. Um, so yeah, he's um, well. I, I feel that everyone who participated is a hero in their own right. Yeah. But my grandfather is lucky enough was survived it and came and had a, a normal life. He ended up being honored fifty or sixty years later in Belgium. Uh, he was knighted as a chevalier. And there's a, a statue commemorating the parachuters, so a statue of him right. uh, in yeah. a small town in Belgium. Okay. Yeah. Like near where he might have been. Uh, in that, in the town. Okay. Yeah. So okay. he's a... Uh, That's remarkable. It's, a, yeah. it's crazy. It's cool. So yeah. he... I got the watch when he died. So he died in 2016 at like 96 years old. Wow. And he... Um, it's funny. I had heard about the watch, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't expect to get it. The his my grandfather's oldest son, my oldest uncle, he was after the Rolex. He thought the Rolex is more valuable, but it doesn't have the same story. It doesn't have the same. It's not. Yeah, I'm. I'm happy that I managed to get this one. Well, the Rolex may be valuable, but that's priceless. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally. So when did he get? Did he get the watch? Like. Uh, how, how 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 did it go with him joining the Caterpillar Association and like it? What was there a ceremony with it, all that kind of stuff? But yeah. So after the war, my grandfather lived a normal life in Montreal, but he always stayed connected to the Survivors Club and just the World War survivors. Uh, he 
it wasn't as big a deal in his younger years. There was many of them, but he was one of the one of the oldest surviving World War II veterans, and would give uh, stories on them, let's say, for example. But uh, I actually don't know when he was commemorated, mm-hmm. but he was in his later years. So, mm-hmm. okay. so what's what's the um, what's the book that he wrote? Uh, tell us about the book. Yeah, so the book is it's a memoir about my grandfather James Moffat, written by his eldest sister. And it's called Behind Enemy Lines. Uh, when was it written? Like 20 years ago. So first printing in April 2001. Uh, so he wrote it, or they wrote it as a project to, I guess, make his story live on. Yeah. He uh, He's a gregarious guy. He was a gregarious guy, storyteller. And we just, I've heard the story so many times cutting out for that. I felt like I didn't need to read the book, but uh, it's nice that... Yeah, he was. It was a passion of his after retirement, yeah. and he, yeah, he, he, the war ended up being his whole life, his most proud moment of his life, really. Sure. Uh, so yeah, they, him and his sister, put it on paper because it's a fabulous story. That's wild, and you know, he would tell the stories too. So it's good that there's a place for the stories to, to land, right? And reading the book, he, I hear his voice because it's written in the same way that he would speak. That's wow. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, very cool. Like, um, um, imagine that, though, as a, as a young Canadian going over to Europe to, to fight a war that was raging. Yeah. And to be caught up in, in that, to, to be in an air crew, to, to have been lucky enough to survive a good number of raids and then, uh, and then to be... And to, he was the gunner on every mission. Yeah, yeah. That's wild, yeah. So 20, I guess 20 would be the, the last one he did. What would it tell me? I guess in that one right. The, uh, and the campaign, like typically, I believe it is 20 missions that you do before you're, you get sent home permanently. Okay. Um, so he actually extended his normal duration already. So it must have been his 21st or 22nd mission. Because mm-hmm. I know that he had already surpassed his his requirement, mm-hmm. but he wanted to continue to contribute. So it's a honorable man. Mm-hmm. That's wild. We were, we were looking at, uh, well, I was looking to, to try to find other examples of, of watches that have a similar kind of, I'm sure there's other clubs, other associations of other experiences that uh, watches are given to commemorate those things. You know, I couldn't really find much of the research I did. Those, it, 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 you do really have to be specific, you know? To find those things, yeah, and I think I think now it's um, there's some some more recent things that that have happened um, with Martin Baker, for example, right. um, like the Bremont. One way or another, yeah. one thing being, yeah, uh, a Martin Baker um, and, and uh, special watch, the Martin Baker one um, ties, pins, and stuff like that. Because I think something else that was also attached with the Caterpillar Club was a gold pin that, yep. uh, that would come with it. Did he get a, a pin too? Do you know? I never saw. Yeah. So he likely did though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the watch is more valuable than the pin. You probably get both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it it it's really nice to actually have have that connection because we've heard other stories recently too from uh, Vietnam War vets and their watches, mm-hmm. uh, especially the one that was on Houdinki not not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, where a watch after um, 
40 years, 60 years, had come back to the original uh, original owner through the person that actually saved him uh, yeah. on the battlefield. Wow. Um, There's a watch that was literally shot off his wrist. Off his wrist, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's stories like that that are just so so amazing to hear because it's it's reality, it's real life in those mm. situations. And uh, never... Can't even imagine what that would uh, what, what that would be like, and I don't think uh, many people could, unless you were directly involved with the uh, armed forces right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's a, a fa- an absolutely fantastic story um, with with a very happy ending because he lived a good long life. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that watch meant a lot to him. I'm sure it reminded him of that experience. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, probably the most, the war was the proudest moments of his life, I feel. Yeah, yeah. He uh, would talk about that more than anything else. Mm-hmm. More than his boring finance job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can see why. Yeah. 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 Well, Very that's cool. fantastic. You know, thank you so much for, for coming in and, and bringing bringing this story to light with us and 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 coming in and, and doing the podcast with us because this is uh, this has been amazing. Yeah, it's. Uh, I remember seeing that watch once once before, um, and uh, and then when Howie brought it to light uh, when you came in again, it was just like, yeah, this mm-hmm. this is fantastic. Well, I think this this actually has inspired us to sort of have a a theme with our podcast yeah. now. Um, <laughs> is collecting stories from, from people with their watches, you know, like. Uh, on our last podcast, we told another story of a, um, a gentleman who brought a watch out of. Uh, uh, it was a refugee from from where was it? It was from Africa. From Africa, mm-hmm. and he had to leave everything, but he just had this one watch that he brought with him over. And, and the one possession he took. One possession, yeah. And yeah. um, we serviced it, you know. And then he tells me after I service it too. It's probably better to tell me after. <laughs> yeah, you know, where I can just you know not to you know. No not, be, not be too scary. Yeah. <laughs> not that watchmaking is scary, but it is. Yeah. No. So that's that's sort of been the catalyst for for us exploring that with other people and their watches and the great stories. And I think myself, one of the reasons I got into watchmaking is that watches have these great stories. That there's always this connection to the past or connection to an event or something that watches share. So, and this being a commemorative watch. Even cooler that way. So yeah, nice. Well, yeah. Thanks for having me, and it's a a pleasure to get to honor my grandfather and a special remembrance day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll we'll have this out on Monday for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome, Good. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Travis. Thank you. We'd just like to extend a huge thanks to Travis O'Farrell for coming in to the Roldorf Cafe and uh, telling us this incredible story. Thank you all so very much for listening. This has been a Roldorf Cafe production.